Welcome to episode 34 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'll be recapping the books I read in July. Before we get started, I wanted to thank you listeners for um, ranking and reviewing us on iTunes. Every time you do that, it helps spread the word about the bookshelf and the podcast. So if you are a frequent listener and you are so inclined, we would love for you to rank or review us. Um, You can do that by accessing the podcast app on your iPhone or by going to the link to iTunes that we will provide you in the show notes today. Um, So July has been a long month, but not a great reading month. Normally I try to read a couple of books a week, um, ending up with about eight or nine books a month, sometimes more, sometimes less. This month I have only read four books. Um, I will admit to starting, I started eight books and somehow these are the only four I have finished this month. I don't know whether to blame the oppressive southern heat and humidity or if I've just been too busy watching things in my Netflix queue. Um, But I haven't read very many books, but the books I have read I have really enjoyed. So I thought I would just walk you all through those as I typically do at the end of every month. I will also warn you that I am choosing to record this late on a Wednesday afternoon from my office at the bookshelf, so things might get a little weird. (laughs) So uh, that being said, the first book I read in July was Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Um, That book is written by Jay Ryan, and I believe his last name is um, Stradell, um, S-T-R-A-D-A-L, if you're at home and taking notes. Kitchens of the Great Midwest just released um, the last week in July, but I was able to get my hands on an advanced reader copy. Um, This is a book that kept coming kind of coming up when I was talking with my sales rep and I will be the first to admit that based on the book cover and the title I completely thought this was a cookbook. Um, I it took me a long time an absurdly um, long amount of time to realize that this was a novel and therefore it took me a while to pick it up but my sales rep kept raving about it and then slowly I started to see some reviews trickle in so I thought I would give it a try when I finally realized what it was. Um, That being said I hope you do not make the same mistake because Kitchens of the Great Midwest will probably be making my best books of 2015 list at the end of this year. Um, I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, It's an unusual book in that um, I will tell you some basic elements of the plot, but I don't want to give too much away because um, although at first my lack of knowledge about the book prevented me from buying the book or from picking the book up, Um, then my lack of knowledge I think really helped me enjoy the book even more because I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into. So I'd love for you to have a similar experience. Um, The book um, does... It does have a lot to do with food. It has to do with the Midwest. So if you are listening from that part of the country, this book is probably definitely for you. However, as a Southerner, I still really found a lot to enjoy about this particular novel. Um, Kitchens of the Great Midwest is about a young woman named um, Eva, and we kind of watch her learn and grow and develop her tastes. And we we don't really even know that she is kind of going to be the main character of this book until we start to see some of these stories unfold. So again, I know that this is so vague, but I don't want to give too much away because I think you'll enjoy it more going in with less information. Um, But what you do need to know is this is 
an intelligent, intriguing story about a young woman uh, and her passion for food. And even if you're not a foodie and you're not a Midwesterner, have no fear. I'm neither of those things, and I really enjoyed this. Um, you know, I I do love food documentaries, and I love to eat at restaurants, but I'm not the person with this really great palette, taste palette. Um, and I still found so much uh, in this book that was interesting about restaurants and about the food industry and I think anybody will enjoy this book because it is so well written. Um, it's very uniquely written. The way the author weaves the story is um, just incredibly talented. And that's partly why I don't want to give you any more information because the way that this story unfolds is incredibly unusual. And I remember I was in my bed reading the last few pages, finished up, and thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I finished it. I'm so sad I finished it, and now I want to tell everybody I know about it. So that I feel like that's pretty high praise. I immediately went on Instagram, posted a picture of my advanced reader copy, and told everyone I knew, at least on the internet, <laughs> to read this book. And I'm already doing the same thing in the store. So chances are, if you see me in the next couple of weeks, this is going to be one I recommend to you. Um, the cover does, I mean, it's a beautiful cover. It does make it look like chiclet. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you, J. Ryan Stradell is a man. This is a male author. So if you're a guy, you can still enjoy this book. Um, and it is, I mean, it does, the main character is a female, but I wouldn't just say that this was for females or female book clubs. I mean, I think they'll enjoy this book. I think if you're a book club leader, this might be one worth putting on your lists for the fall. Um, but I think it does extend beyond those typical quote-unquote chiclet boundaries. Um, and I hate those boundaries as much as the next person, but they're there and they exist. So um, I do think that this book kind of uh, transcends them, and, and that's something special. Um, so that book was Kitchens of the Great Midwest by J. Ryan Stradell. It is a beautiful uh, book inside and out. I hope that you will pick it up soon. It deserves to be on your shelf. The next book I read was also an advanced reader copy, Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. Most of you will have heard of Lauren Groff. She's pretty well known in the literary world. Um, she read the book, um, she, she read, hopefully she read it. She wrote the book Arcadia, which is where I was familiar with her. Um, this was an advanced reader copy that came in the mail and uh, my employee, coworker Chris really wanted it and I uh, kind of said, yes, you can have it after I'm done. <laughs> so, so I went ahead and read it and then passed it along to him. Um, this is literary fiction. So know that going in, that this is not some, you know, quick page turner. This is a book that is meant to be slowly enjoyed, not devoured. Um, Lauren chooses to write about marriage, which I think right off the bat is an admirable um, goal, but it's also a difficult one because I feel like I read very few books that are interesting and yet realistic about their portrayal of marriage. I think I've mentioned before Landline by Rainbow Rowell. I really enjoyed that book um, because of its emphasis on marriage and its um, its take on a, or a realistic view of what married life looks like. I also love Crossing to Safety. That's a classic. Um, and it's a book I love because it, it's not so much about plot and plot points, but about the people and the characters, which I think is what marriage is a lot like. Um, and so Lauren Groff does this incredible job of writing about married life 
in such a way that feels both interesting um, and true to life. Um, it's compelling literature. Um, it's incredibly intelligent fates and furies hints to the fact that there are two sides to every story and there are two sides to every marriage if not more (laughs) and so it's a really interesting I keep using the word interesting I'm sorry um but it's this really grand look at a a marriage through the decades so this isn't a snapshot this is um a really long form look at a married life through the years. Um, I think it was an incredibly ambitious choice for her, and it really pays off. So Kitchens of the Great Midwest, I read it the first part of the month, and I thought, okay, that's definitely going to make my best of 2015 list. Um, Fates and Furies is the same way for different reasons. I mean, they're both so different from each other, but both of them were written by capable I mean, incredibly capable authors. And then they both tell these beautifully woven stories. And um, Fates and Furies is just, um, I think, everything you would expect from from Lauren Groff. And I, I haven't read a ton of reviews about this one yet because it isn't coming out until... I believe September. So this isn't one I'm hearing too much about yet, but I know that I will. Um, and I can't wait for this one to release so that we can rave about it and talk about it together. Um, particularly if you are a more literary fiction, um, reader, I think you'll really enjoy this one when it comes out. The book is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, and it releases on September 15th. Um, Okay, so this is the book that uh, we have all been talking about. Uh, About halfway, midway through the month, I finally read Go Set a Watchman by Harper Lee. I say finally because the book released, I believe, on July 14th, but um, we weren't even allowed to open the boxes of books at the bookshelf until July 14th. We couldn't even break the seal, and I'm a rule follower, so we didn't. Um, And... Then when we did, all the customers that came through our doors that week were just sure we had already read it, and I hate to disappoint, but I did not have time to read it right when it came out of the box. Um, Instead, I sold about 75 copies the week that it debuted, which is incredible for us. Um, And finally was able to pick it up the Saturday after it released, sat in my grandpa's big blue chair that sits in my office at home, and read the whole thing straight through in three hours. Um, That's not necessarily a method I would recommend for everyone, but Jordan happened to be working outside, and I just curled up and said, this is my homework for the weekend, let me get it done. So I approached it as a bit of an assignment. Um, I knew it was one that I had to read, even if it was one I was hesitant to read. Um, I'm a reader first, but now I am also a bookseller, and so I knew it was important to read it so that I could... um, adequately and intelligently speak with customers about it. Um, That being said, I actually really enjoyed this one. I did have a customer, um, when I told him that I enjoyed the book, I think he couldn't believe it and thought that perhaps I was lying to sell books. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I want you to know, um, actually, based on a review you'll hear later in the podcast, that I really do try to tell you what I really think about the books that I enjoy. Um, if I didn't enjoy a particular book, I will skip over it entirely, or I will let you know why I think it might be right for you, even if it wasn't right for me. So no, I am not lying about my enjoyment of Ghost at a Watchman. <laughs> I really did enjoy it. Um, here are a couple of things you need to know. I love To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, it's my favorite book of all time, and I know that is cliche because it's everybody's favorite book of all time, but Scout and Jim are incredibly dear to me. Um, I have seen the play multiple times, movie multiple times, read the book multiple times, um, and I love the, I love that book. Ghost Set a Watchman is very different from To Kill a Mockingbird. You could be living under a rock and know that to be true. Um, it, as we have discussed in previous podcasts, we've actually discussed the history of the book in a previous podcast, so I will happily link to that in the show notes. But as you may know by now, um, Ghost Set a Watchman is actually what Harper Lee calls the parent uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. So it was written previously. Um, it was written before To Kill a Mockingbird. And in fact, most people say that an editor got a hold of Ghost Set a Watchman found the portions about um, Scout's childhood to be incredibly um, compelling, and then asked Harper Lee to turn that into a new novel, which she did, called To Kill a Mockingbird. So there's kind of a little background for you. Um, the book released on July 14th. Two days prior, the first chapter released um, on the Washington Post and I think a couple of other websites, maybe the Wall Street Journal, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, it released, NPR released the audiobook, um, the first chapter. So everybody got kind of a sneak peek that Sunday. I read that chapter and thought, okay, I can kind of take a deep breath because my biggest concern was that the book wouldn't feel like Harper Lee's. Um, and I wound up um, being blissfully, happily wrong about that. It, it definitely feels like Harper Lee's book. Um, but immediately, those fears subsided and more fears arose because the New York Times released their review of the book, a very well-written uh, book review about Ghost at a Watchman that let us all know that Atticus is a bigot and a racist. <laughs> and immediately, as a bookseller, I'm devastated because this is a book review before the book is even released. Biggest book of the year by far, I am sure. Um, and... I'm also disappointed as a reader because now I've got a bad taste in my mouth before I've even picked the book up. And we all had our hesitations. We had our concerns. I was concerned about the actual publication of it. And we all know that this was a money grab. Um, you know, I, I'm not paid by any publishers, so I can say that. Like, this was a business decision and a very profitable one um, for HarperCollins. And so um, HarperCollins is going to, going to make a lot of money off of Harper Lee and this book. And that's what publishing is. It's a business. So, um, we all knew that going in, we all had our hesitations about whether or not Harper Lee really knew this book was being published. Um, but to have then Atticus called out as a racist and a bigot was just, I think more than most readers wanted or could handle. Um, I know most people then decided not to read Ghost at a Watchman, or maybe they're still floundering. I understand that. Um, I went ahead and picked the book up out of a sense of responsibility um, because I am a bookseller. And I read it, I, I read it wondering if perhaps the New York Times book reviewer simply wasn't a Southerner. And here's what I mean by that. 
Yes, Atticus Finch says things in Ghost of a Watchman that will disappoint you. Um, they don't necessarily match who we might have idealized after reading To Kill a Mockingbird. However, if you grew up in the South, or if you um, have Southern relatives, or if you um, were alive during the 50s and 60s in the South, Atticus Finch in Ghost at a Watchman will be incredibly realistic to you. Um, this book provides a nuanced and complicated look at race in the South um, because race is nuanced and complicated where we live. Uh, if you're not a Southerner, that might not make sense to you, and that is fine, but as someone who was raised at least in a portion of the South, although many would not, I think, count um, Florida as, as a Southern state, um, I have a husband from Alabama, family members from Alabama, um, and to me, yes, Atticus Finch, some of what he says in Ghost of Watchmen, some of what he says is extremely bothersome. Um, but it also sounds like things I have heard before, perhaps not out of my own family members, but out of people I know, some people I love. Um, and Scout struggles with that, just like you will struggle with that when you read it. I think Harper Lee wanted us to struggle with that. Um, and maybe that's presumptuous, but but I, I think Ghost at a Watchman provides a complicated look at Atticus that we don't necessarily get into Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Jordan, my husband, commented, and he has not read Ghost at a Watchman yet, but he commented that perhaps Ghost at a Watchman might be the adult look at what Atticus is like. And that might be true, um, but we all know that, yes, Scout narrates in Go Into Kill a Mockingbird, um, but adult Scout is looking back and narrating that. So, um, yes, I believe it is partly an idealized look at her dad, and that's what makes Ghost at a Watchman really fascinating, um, especially if you are around Scout or Jean Louise's age. So in the book, Jean Louise is 26 years old, Atticus is 72, um, and I am 29. And so it was really neat to be able to understand what Scout's going through while she's realizing, oh, my my dad isn't perfect. My father isn't who I thought he was. And and I thought that was really touching and really well handled. The book is clearly a draft. Some of the dialogue is clunky. Um, the characters are not necessarily all well developed. Um, but the voice of Harper Lee is still there. So if that was a concern of yours, I don't think you need to be concerned anymore. Um, if you can't read this book at least a little bit apart from To Kill a Mockingbird, then you may not want to give it a try. But if you can read it with an open mind, um, I think I think it's a very important book about racial tensions in the South and how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. Uh, I will also tell you that if you don't read anything else, um, but you bought the book because you wanted it for your collection or something like that, I believe it's chapter seven. I don't have my book in front of me, but there is a chapter about Scout Jean Louise sitting through um, a church service with her family after being in New York, and so now she's back in Alabama, going to her um, to her father's Methodist church, and it is hilarious and spot on. And I'm not sure I've ever read a more a more accurate portrayal of church in the South than that chapter. I laughed out loud, told Jordan about it, thought it was hilarious. So if nothing else, that chapter is worth reading. Um, 
the whole book I think deserves a chance. I hope you'll give it one. Um, I would love to talk with you more about it in the store. I will say this about all of the controversy and the, the ups and downs of the release of this book. I have never as a bookseller gotten to witness such a big release of a book. And so that was incredibly exciting, but what has been even more, um, awesome as a bookseller is to have such um, wonderful conversations with customers about things that we wouldn't normally be able to talk about, but books make them safe to talk about. So I have had so many lovely conversations with customers and readers because of this book, and for that I am extremely grateful, and um, I owe some of my best conversations this summer to Harper Lee. So Go Set a Watchman by Harper Lee. If you can, give it a chance. I think you'll be glad you did. Okay, the last book I read this month in its entirety was Luckiest Girl Alive. Luckiest Girl Alive, you will recognize, if not by the title, then probably by the cover. It's made the rounds on the, so- on the, on the social media, mm, on the internet, thanks to um, Reese Witherspoon. Um, the actress bought the rights to this film, to, uh, to this book, to make it into a film. Um, it, you'll recognize it, it's a yellow cover with a, I think, dying rose on the front. Um, very... Uh, gothic looking, dark looking. It's a thriller um, that people were calling the it book of the summer, comparing it inevitably to Gone Girl, to Girl on the Train. Um, I picked it up finally for a book club. I hadn't picked it up because I like a good thriller, but I don't know. I've been busy this summer and I didn't make the time to pick this one up. Finally picked it up. Um, This is not my favorite book. (laughs) I don't want to deter you from reading it because I do think some people will, will really enjoy it. In fact, I have had customers, um, a couple of customers I can think of specifically who have come back and enjoyed this book and reported back on it. Um, so I know some people are enjoying this one. I just am not one of those people. And um, this is how I hope you know that I'm honest in my reviews <laughs> um, because this wasn't a favorite of mine. It just was a little bit lacking in terms of writing style. Um, it's about a young woman who um, something traumatic and humiliating happened to her in her high school years, and she has spent her early adult years kind of, kind of trying to overcome that and trying to... Um, make her past disappear, I guess. The setting, which um, takes place primarily in New York um, and in her flashbacks to her years in prep school, the setting reminds me a lot of another book I read this year that I liked way more called Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford. That book is not a thriller, but the setting is very reminiscent of this book. So if you want to read a book about um, high society in New York prep school, um, uh, prep school graduates, um, try Everybody Rise first. Um, That being said, if you're looking for a page turner, this one might grab you. It just did not grab me. Um, The very first few pages were just a turnoff and then... um, the twists and turns, which there are twists and turns in this book, don't get me wrong, um, they just left me wanting. Um, I am basically, because I want to be so careful, because I'm always uh, in awe of authors who are able to put words to a page, and I, I don't want to be overly critical. Um, and again, there are some customers who really enjoyed this one. So I have decided that this is basically my, my review of this book. 
reading Luckiest Girl Alive is like watching a Lifetime movie. If that appeals to you in any way, whether as a guilty pleasure or maybe you legitimately enjoy Lifetime movies, then this book truly might be for you. If that is not appealing to you in any way, if you don't like to hate watch Lifetime movies, if you don't think they're interesting, um, then don't pick this book up. Try something else. Try Tana French. um, Try the Stephanie Clifford book. um, Try anything by Megan Abbott. Uh, maybe Gillian Flynn's other titles, but this one I think will leave you a little bit disappointed. Um, I'll be interested to see what Reese Witherspoon and her production company do with this as a film, um, just because I read Gone Girl and I, I, I don't think the two are similar. I think I think this book wants to be that, and it, and it just doesn't cut it for me. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts. If you have read this book, please, I'd love to hear your comments. Um, come back into the shop or comment um, on our store blog or something. Let me know you read it. I'm re- I really am curious. Um, and of course, give it a try. You never know. But I, but it was not my favorite book of the year for sure. <laughs> um, it was one I did kind of just have to muddle through. Um, as for the other books that I have started this this month, uh, but not finished, I started an advanced reader copy that I'll hope to have a review out about soon um, called Witches, which is about the Salem Witch Trials, a nonfiction hefty, it's a very thick, large, a large nonfiction book, but certainly will fulfill any historical nonfiction requirements I set for myself earlier this year. Um, I'm also reading an advanced reader copy, The Things We Keep by Sally Hepworth, um, and I've got Americana by um, Nigerian author, and I, I would rather not pronounce her name because I think I will butcher it, but um, you have heard of it. Uh, it was a best book of 2013 or 2014, I can't recall. Um, I'm really enjoying that one. It's just taking me some time to get through. Um, and then I feel like there's one more on my nightstand at home that I'm also somehow working through. Um, so hopefully those will finish up in August and I'll have some more reviews for you then. Uh, until then, check these out. Um, and I would love to hear your thoughts. As always, you can find us online, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. Full episodes of the podcast are both on our website and on iTunes under From the Front Porch. And you can follow us on Instagram, Bookshelf Tville and Twitter at Bookshelf Tville or Facebook at Bookshelf Thomasville. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and your comments on any of these titles. And of course, if you're a local, stop in the store. I'd love to talk with you about these books and many more. Uh, Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.